Welcome to Riverbend Church's podcast, and thanks for listening. Riverbend is a church in Hernando, Mississippi, that is focused on our calling to restore the community around us. For more information, visit rbhernando.church. We hope you enjoy the message. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke, we will be in Luke chapter 24. So right at the end of the Gospel, Luke 24, verses 36 down through verse 49, I believe that we see three statements that point to Jesus being alive. Three statements that point to Jesus being alive today. Find it in Luke chapter 24, and I will read these verses for us. Then we'll spend a few moments looking at these three statements. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would speak this morning, that we would hear, we would be drawn to you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Three statements that point to Jesus being Alive. The first statement is found there in these verses is this. The resurrection is expressed. It's expressed in words and also in action. If you look in verses 36 through 45, you walk through that one more time, you would see that it is expressed, this resurrection from the dead, that Jesus being alive is expressed. It's expressed in words, but it's also expressed in action, or it's expressed in deeds, in them living out a life differently. It's expressed in words. When he says, peace be with you, dead men don't talk. Dead men do not talk, and Jesus just shows up in the middle of the room. It is the first day of the week. He has already shown himself to a number of the disciples. He's just right before this. He had 
been walking with two men on the road to Emmaus about seven miles. He had been talking with them. The similar statements that he is stating here, for seven miles he opens the scriptures to them and finally he opens their eyes in their house and they immediately turn and walk back seven miles to Jerusalem and the verse picks up in verse 36. They are there in the upper room and Jesus just shows up. Dead men don't talk. Jesus is speaking with this group of followers. He shows up and he speaks. And as he shows up and speaks, he speaks of the law of Moses. He speaks of the prophets. He speaks of the Psalms. You can look for yourself. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Psalm chapter 22 verses 1 through 16. Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 53, chapter 55. He is speaking of himself over and over and over again. But not only are these words being spoken, that being expressed that the resurrection has happened, but we see lives changed. Let me give you two quotes came across these in the last few weeks and from a different spot. You, you wouldn't think that these two men would say this. These aren't Baptist preachers. These are lawyers. The first is a man by the name of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He is a Harvard law professor. And he's speaking as he's writing in, in one of his books on the court of law or the law of the court and that of eyewitness accounts. He says this about the honesty of the disciples in a court of law. He says this, it, it, it was impossible, it was impossible that they could have persisted in affirming the truths they had narrated had not Jesus actually risen from the dead. And had they not known this fact as certainty, as certainly as they knew any other fact, meaning this, that it is it would be impossible for them to live out the life that they lived after that moment the way that they did unless they knew that his resurrection was true. Before we look at how they lived their lives out, let me give you a second quote. Lord Darling, who would, uh, he was over the English Supreme Court, what we would call the Chief Justice of our Supreme Court. He stated this, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial. Listen, that no intelligent jury in the world would fail to bring a verdict that the resurrection is true. It is true that these two men wrote this and others, countless others, have written similar statements. But let's look at the lives of the followers. The lives of the followers before Jesus' resurrection were those similar to possibly yours and ours, yours and mine. Days that were strong and days that were not so strong. Sometimes we would say things of, of boldness and other days we might cower behind statements. But these followers, Peter, Paul, 
Both were martyred in Rome in AD 66 during the persecution under the emperor Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. And he was crucified upside down at his request since he did not feel he was worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. Andrew, another disciple. Andrew went to the land of the meat eaters in what is now the Soviet Union. Christians there claim him as the first to bring the gospel to their land. He preached in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, and Greece, where he was said to have been crucified himself. Thomas was probably the most active of the disciples. After the resurrection, he is sent out all the way to India. And he is preaching the gospel there in India. And history states that he was impaled on a stake because of that message. Then we get to the one John. The one who is stated that it is the disciple that Jesus loved. John lived the longest of these 12. John lived into the 90s AD and they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him by putting him in a, a vat of boiling oil. Yet he didn't die. And so they just threw him onto an, a prison island called Patmos where he was there for hard labor, where he wrote that final book the book of Revelation. You say, Brian, why do you tell us about these men? Because of the way that they lived and the way that they died, it shouts the resurrection is true. That Jesus came out of the grave. Three days after he died, he was and is alive. Sure. You say, well, okay, these 12. These 12 live differently. It's not just these 12. The whole first century was turned upside down. The whole Roman Empire was turned upside down. The whole world pivoted on this account. These three days, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. All of history changed because of that statement. The resurrection is expressed in words And also in the lives of the disciples. But it's also a second statement. Second statement, we see the the mission of Christianity. This mission is exercised. If Jesus is dead, there is no mission. Just leave it point, period, exclamation point, end of discussion. If Jesus is dead, there is no mission. But because he is alive, there is a mission. Look in verses 45 through 47. Let me read these verses for us once again this morning. Verse 45 states this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
Now understand, this portion of the scriptures from Matthew to Revelation hadn't been written at this time. So when it states, when he states there in Luke chapter 24 that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, it means this, that Genesis through Malachi, he he just walked through Genesis through Malachi for them to understand, hey, this was talking about me. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the what we call the proto-evangelium, the first time the good news is expressed. That's about me. Hey, you need a savior? Guess what? I'm him. The one who came and, and took your place. I'm him. The one that David spoke about in the Psalms. The one that Isaiah spoke about. The one that Jeremiah spoke about. All the way through the scriptures, he spoke those so that they would understand. If Jesus is dead, there is no mission, but there is a mission. He was on a mission. He came and opened their minds according to the scriptures. He suffered and died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. And because he finished his mission, he sent you and me on our mission. What's our mission? Well, we have a twofold mission ourselves. First, we have to accept his mission. You can't just know it in your mind. You have to accept it for yourself. I can't accept it for you. You can't accept it for me. Parents can't accept it for their kids. Grandparents can't accept it for their grandkids or vice versa. The mission of Christianity is exercised. It is exercised in this. Repentance and forgiveness are to be proclaimed. Repentance, it's a military term. It's making a change of direction. It's seeing that the direction and the actions, the thoughts, the words, the life that you are living, they are not right. And you and I change the direction of our life. How? Through accepting the grace, the love, the gift that God has given through His Son. And then the word forgiveness. How easy is it for you to uh, to accept God forgiving you? How easy is it for you to extend forgiveness to others when somebody has wronged you? How desperate do you cry out for forgiveness when you wrong somebody else and desire for them to forgive you? This forgiveness here in these verses, in verse number 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. It should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations. Ultimately, forgiveness is this, that Jesus became sin for you so that you and I might become righteous through Him. Praying for that sin by His blood. Paying for that sin by His blood, by His death. You're like, why is it that way? It's that way because it's all about Him. He started, initiated salvation. He acted first. He finished His portion first so that you and I might be on the mission that He calls you and me to be about, about Him. It is all about him. Because of this, it makes 
it all about God. He is holy and just, and at the same time, he is the justifier. He is elevated higher, if that can even happen, all because of this mission that he set out to be on, to suffer and die for you. The mission is ours now. After Jesus did his part, suffering and dying and rising from the dead, it is now our mission. You see that word there in verse number 47? Let me read the whole verse for us again. He states this, And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Proclaimed. That's a, that's a unique term. I'm going to tell you the definition, and, and I'm, I really don't know if I, I should, but I am. And I'll tell you why I don't know if I should or not. That word means preach. And I know your first connotation is, I'm not a preacher. Forgiveness and repentance should be proclaimed. It should be preached in his name, starting in Jerusalem. That word, proclaim, means to tell, declare publicly, to write or speak insistently or even defiantly. And you and I are all charged to proclaim forgiveness of sins and repentance through his name. Not just the one that stands on the stage. Not just when a crowd is gathered and there is a hundred plus folks in the room or a thousand plus folks in the room. No, when it's one-on-one, one-on-three, when you're sitting across the table, when you meet your neighbors for the first time, when you talk to your kids, talk to your parents, co-workers, we are to proclaim the gospel. And now we are to proclaim the great news and we are to watch him work. A few weeks ago, I was reading in Acts and um, I came across a verse and I've read that verse. I don't know how many times before. It's a well-known verse. But as I read it, I, I jotted something down in my journal And I said, you know what? I'm going to start praying this prayer. I'm going to start praying this prayer in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, because the words are these, and the Lord added to their number day by day. And out beside that, in Acts 2, 47, I, I just wrote the number down, 365. He added to their number daily. And how does he add to their number in Acts chapter 2. And how does he add to our number today? He adds to our numbers when you and I are on the mission of sharing the good news. It's now in our court, River Bend. Sir, it's now in your court. It's now in my court. Ma'am, it's now in your court. Students, adults, it's now in our court to continue the mission. The last few weeks, I have started multiple spiritual conversations with individuals 
Why? Because that's the mission. And I know, I know that if it's not championed from me on this stage or championed from me in my life, it will not be shown and seen in you and in our church life. And I pray that as I obey, as we obey, God does exactly what he did in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that he would add to our number day by day because you and I see the mission. The, resur- the resurrection is expressed or exercised. The resurrection is shown as the mission Let's look at this third and final statement this morning. Read with me. I'll read it aloud. You read silently verse 49. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise, the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. The promise is entrusted to Jesus' followers. If Jesus is dead, the promise is empty. If the tomb is filled this morning, the promise is empty. If the tomb is empty this morning, the promise is full. If Jesus is dead, the promise is worthless. The promise is from the Father. The promise is Him sending His Spirit. Luke stated it this way, that the Spirit will be upon you. The promise will be upon you. It's right here in verse 49, but it's also uh, in another one of Luke's works. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, and the Spirit was upon them. John stated it differently. John stated it wasn't just upon them, but in John's gospel, in John 14, 16, in John 16, verse 7, and in John 15, verses 1 through 8, he speaks of the Spirit indwelling them. Indwelling them, abiding with them, inside of them. And Paul picks that up in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And he says, That this life that he lives, he lives because the Spirit is in him. He lives it by faith in the Son of God. The promise is from the Father. He's the one who desired for Jesus' followers to have him, to have the Spirit. He is upon you. He is coming upon you as Acts chapter 1 verse 8 states. But here's the promise. It's a long quote from Major Ian Thomas. He wrote it in a great book called The Saving Life of Christ. Part of the quote is on the screen, but I'm going to let you look at it, and I'll catch up with you as I read through this quote. It states this, On the third morning, after the crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and appeared to his, his disciples. He instructed them for some 40 days and then ascended to the Father. On the first day of Pentecost, he returned, not this time to be with them externally, clothed with that sinless humanity that God had prepared for him, being conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Here's where your vision sees the quote. 
but now to be in them, now to be imparting to them his own divine nature, clothing himself with their humanity so that they each became members in particular of a new corporate body through which Christ expressed himself to the world of their day. He spoke with their lips. He worked with their hands. This was the miracle of the new birth. And this remains the very heart of the gospel. His promise came on Pentecost. He dwells in each and every believer. That God-sized vacuum inside of man is now filled because He sent His promise. He sent His Spirit and gave Him to you. Gave Him to me. He speaks with your lips, sir. He works with your hands, ma'am. Students, this is the new birth. This is life change. This is good news. John speaks of this gift, this promise in his gospel in John chapter 16 this way. If you look in verse number 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the promise, the Spirit, He will not come to you. When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in Me, Jesus states. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare to you. Have you been convicted of sin? You and I know what's right and wrong. We, we know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know the words that we say if they're right. We know the wrong words that we say if they're wrong. We know the actions that we do if they're right, if they're wrong. We know that because this promise has been given to you. And He is convicting you of your sin. And He is convicting me of my sin. But he's also showing a picture of the difference between us and him. Him being Christ. Jesus is righteous. He went back to heaven and the Spirit is pointing us to him. And he's also convicting this world of judgment. He's convicting this world of judgment because as John wrote, as he spoke, the ruler of this world is judged 
So what do we do? Just going about life however we want? Great account, Brian. See you next Sunday. Do you want, do you want purpose for Monday? Do you want purpose in your life for this coming week? Do you want power in your life? One of my favorite preachers, I quote him often. One of my favorite preachers uh, is Adrian Rogers. One of the reasons I love Adrian Rogers is because I was saved at Bellevue when I was eight. Baptized there and um, began a walk with the Lord there because of him and his wife and time that they have uh, poured into me as a youngster and then again even as a young pastor. And here's what he states concerning this, this promise about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. He says this, I remind you, I remind you, sir, ma'am, River Bend, I remind you that in order to be over the things that God has put under you, you must remain under those things that God has set over you. You're like, Brian, what's that talking about? God has set some things over you as a believer in His. As a Christian, if you are a Christian in the room today, God has set some things over you. And for you to have power in your life and purpose in your life, you have to allow those things that He has set over you, His Word, His Spirit, to remain there. So that when you live out Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and any other day, if you want power and purpose in those days in your life, you have to live under the authority of the one who has given you that life. And if you and I don't, two things. We don't have power and purpose that moment in that day. But we do have one who will forgive us. One who loves us and says, hey, Brian, knucklehead, listen, if you would just come back here and you would just live this way, it's the best way. If you would just do that, Brian, sir, ma'am, if we would just do that. I don't know where you are in the journey today. Some of you are in the, in the, uh, in the questioning phase of the journey. You've heard it. You've heard it numerous times, possibly. You've heard it once again this morning. Jesus is alive. Some of you are just questioning. He's big enough to answer your questions. He's big enough to answer your questions. So ask Him. But when you see the answer, trust Him. And some are in the room. You've already accepted Him. You're there. You have accepted that He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. Live it out. Live it out today. Live it out this week. He has you on a mission. And He has given you this promise. His Spirit lives inside of you and me. So live it out. 
Father, thank you. Thank you that, that God, as you saw fit, you made a way for us. You made a way for us to, uh, to celebrate that you are no longer dead. You are alive. There is proof. There is proof given in the words that were spoken. There is proof given in the lives, how they were lived out, how they died. And not just those in the first century, Father. There are brothers and sisters who are living lives right now. Dying now, today, because of the faith. Thank you for the examples. May we, may we come afresh and anew, bow at your throne. You are King Jesus. And we come to worship you. You know, this morning as, uh, as we stand and as we come to a time of response, it's, it's really just a statement today. It's a statement of who he is. It's a statement of what he's done for us. There is good grace that he has given. And we're going to stand and we're just going to sing about that. So Alex, why don't you lead us this morning? You have been listening to the latest message from Riverbend Church. We hope you enjoyed it. Live sin.